Welcome to Multiple Offers, a real estate show with competing perspectives. Today, we're going to be discussing what you think your realtor is doing to get your home sold, what they're actually doing to get your home sold, and what they're doing that's really more about finding their next client. We're also going to be getting into more changes in the way that real estate has to be done uh, from the government, and we're going to be discussing when is the best time to list your property. Put that coffee down. If you're good at something, never do it for free. How'd you get the gig? Oh, you know, they were hiring. It was only a two-week course. I will sell this house today. What are you, some kind of real estate agent? Oh, he's a realtor. There is a difference somehow. This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. All right, episode five. Number five. How you guys been doing? We had a long weekend. So relaxed. I love the long weekends. They were so much more relaxing before children. <laughs> I imagine so. I don't know. I was working. I had a time off. <laughs> little, little shot now that you guys are a team. I live vicariously through Matt. Matt, how was, how was the cabin? It was fantastic. Did you guys go swimming? You go in the water? Maybe no. get a sunburn? I did get a sunburn. Nice. I was not allowed to go in the water. All, no. the, all the flooding business, they suggest that it's flooding people's septic fields. Um. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Tulamine's still on uh, on flood watch? No. Not flood watch. No, it's not Just, on flood watch. The we water, haven't checked the water. Yeah, levels are going down, but it, you know, I, that's I think I said enough about the water quality. <laughs> <laughs> Today on Multiple Offers, a show about water quality. At least we're not talking cars. Yeah. There you go. Had to bring it up though, Jeff. Leave that to the experts. You had to bring it up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no long weekends uh, are fantastic for me uh, because, like Jeremy said in last week's episode, we typically don't list a lot of properties that have their very first weekend on the market during the long weekend. Mm-hmm. So for us as realtors, I find that's when I'm the least busy out of every weekend and sort of throughout the seasons is on the long weekends. But yeah. coming back from a long weekend, everyone's listing their properties. A hundred percent. Tuesday, yesterday. Yeah, the hot sheet went on and on. Two, two and days on ago, on. <laughs> yeah, on and on, and it seems like I don't know if this is maybe maybe this is because kind of like what we talked about last week. But people thinking if you are a seller and you're waiting for the top of the market, you're thinking this is we're coming. You're starting starting to hear stories in the news, so that means we're getting close. So right. let's, let's get on the phone with the realtor, get them to come in, and so it definitely seems like that that way a little bit. But they might be not too late, but. Um, might have been better a few weeks ago. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what if you guys are finding, but I I feel like it's picked up a little bit this week. I I, I had On two, the buyer side? Yeah, yeah, totally. Hmm. I um I went to a cabin as well, Matt. Um so <laughs> look at you cabin folks. Yeah, we're I'm 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 such a outdoorsman. <laughs> for the, for the, and, and for those on the east coast, yeah, cottage. Cottage. Is that what they call I, I think cabins? So. Yeah. These were not cottages. They, they, they were, these did were not ha- belong to me. These well, were gigantic palaces <laughs> on Stump Lake. They were pretty cool, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, while I was away, my listing that hadn't gotten a call in... Uh, well, we hadn't, we hadn't had a showing in two weeks. And we've been on the market three and a half months. Got a subject-free offer for some reason. Oh, fun. Yep. So that was kind of cool. And then I came home in my other listing, which has also been a little bit slow. The one bedroom I've talked about a bit on some of the other episodes. Yeah. Um, three showing requests for today. I do have a theory as to exactly why that happened. I, I Go ahead. And I think it's going to tie into our question of the week. Yeah. Um, but I find that the last two weeks, uh, the public, because they do have a personal life beyond their real estate sort of business going on in their in their own individual worlds uh were very distracted because the week before the may long weekend mm-hmm. was one of our first really sunny felt like a good weekend to get outside felt like summer yeah and yeah. i think everybody was outside just like oh I, I can take a week off they've checked out yeah i, I, I can take a weekend i'm going out i'm gonna do something and then the following weekend was the long weekend which again is incredibly distracting totally. and then people get home and they think realize oh I haven't been paying attention to kind of my personal business for the last two weeks. I've been meaning to find a home to move to. I should kind of get back in the game, pay attention. Maybe the agents are getting back in the game too. Well, we all really have to start paying attention to our personal business because there's big changes coming, right? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get into that with the news today. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you 
to stop what you're doing and listen. I got a newsflash for you, Walter Cronkite. I am enlightened. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. So more, more changes are being handed down. Matt is about to enlighten us. Now, I just wanted on Jeremy and I's behalf before you got into this to mention that you asked us not to research and go through it. We got a whole bunch of emails before and, and this is this is breaking news this is breaking news <laughs> but i just i just wanted to put it out into the world that it's not that jeremy and i intentionally have no idea what's going on but you, you matt thought it would be more fun if if we didn't know so we've we've, we've held off fun. yeah 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 i put a cease and desist order on you guys full you know nda so i've done the research i've managed to really be lights out too i have a little bit of suspicions yeah I feel like dual recusal got better. Oh, and you're giving me eyes like maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, well let's let's start from the beginning. Okay. Uh, in episode three, we talked about dual recusal. Okay. And that was so long ago. <laughs> yeah. So just let's recap for people. Well, we did talk about how we knew that new information was going to be implemented for June fifteenth. Okay. And they've now finally released all the documents and forms that we're going to have to work with for that. So we have a, a more clear idea of what we're going to be working with. And we thought an idea was dual recusal. That meant if you were representing a seller and uh, a client who you have previously represented before comes in and wants to buy the house. All of a sudden there's a conflict. Yeah. And a conflict remove that yourself. requires you to remove yourself from both ends of the transaction, completely disappear. And now nobody the, has an agent. The original intent was, I'm out. See you guys. Good that, luck. I, I, I will disagree with your language there of the original intent. I think the original explanation we were given was that we both had to remove ourselves. Uh, but the oh. powers that be responded to that and said that was not our intent. If that's your interpretation, we're going to clean this up. Because the realtors I, thought the sky was falling. I think they're doing a little <laughs> bit of revisionist history. Because it was explained very clearly that you should, like, it literally was called dual recusal. Get out of the way. You don't belong here. That's not literally what it was called. <laughs> Get out of here, realtor. Okay, so uh, we voiced our uh, recommendations for change. Yeah. And, and they've listened. So would they come up Not with... us here at the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have a lot of leverage, Jeff. <laughs> We're huge. <laughs> Okay, so uh, they they did listen, and they've they've made some modifications and they put things out. So they have very clear and concise forms now that are designed for consumer protection. So they're written in a way that is really intended to be presented to the consumer and read it very concisely, understand what you are getting or what you are not getting. Okay. And uh, let's talk first about the concept of dual recusal, which in practice is probably going to be very very infrequent. So, okay. Would you do you disagree with that? Yeah, I don't think it'll it'll come up often. It it needs to be made clear because when it does come up, like our multiple offer example, um, an example another realtor um, gave. If you want to hear the multiple offer example, just go back and listen to episode three. <laughs> uh, but a, a realtor had pointed out to me, and this this one kind of blew my mind. Was okay. I accept offer number one. Then after I've accepted offer number one, another agent comes and brings me a backup offer. When I see that backup offer, that's a past client of mine who's decided to work with a different agent. Do I recuse myself? I've already got an already offer got in an place. Offer. Yeah. So that was the messy part, which is yeah. completely off the table now. Okay. It's just off the table. So okay. it, this is probably less f likely to come up. There's other, other forms that we have, but let's talk about this one. So let's say hypothetically uh, that, uh, Jeff, you represent the seller. Okay. Okay. And then along comes a past client who you've worked with before says, Hey Jeff, nice to see you again. I love this house and we're thinking about making an offer on it. Okay. Okay. Your options now are to direct that buyer to go work with another agent. Okay. And you can accept a referral fee for doing that. So I can refer, I can be like, look, I can't help you, but I know this great agent, Jeremy mm -hmm. well, thanks, Jeff. and his <laughs> even smarter partner, Matt. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I can, I can help him find the next realtor. You can pass him on to another realtor and you can get paid a referral fee for doing that. Okay. Uh, that's option one. 
uh, Are there restrictions on what the percentage of that referral fee can be? Not at all. However, it is very important that exactly what that referral fee is, is disclosed to all parties involved. Okay, that seems fair. Yeah. 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 Um, And then the second option is your buyer can in fact act as an unrepresented party to the transaction. Right. That is an option. Yeah. My understanding is that was not going to be an option because you have knowledge of your past buyer. You know personal details about their lives uh, that you now, you do have a responsibility to keep that confidential from your seller. You can't pass that on. And that's not a breach of agency for your seller realtor agency relationship. The caveat is that if there was something you know about your your past client who is a buyer who is now unrepresented, if there's something you know about them that would be incredibly important for your seller to know, it really affected their transaction, you can't tell your seller that. In which case you, according to the rules, have a responsibility to then recuse yourself in some function that says, well, Mr. Buyer, I think you need to go get your own agent or something to that effect. You need to find some way of, of making it work. And the most likely scenario is that your buyer then has to go get their own agent. Are the disclosure rules for what I know about the buyer to tell my seller, are they the same if that buyer is unrepresented or if that buyer has their own agent? Correct. I guess the difference is that if they have their own agent, their agent can give them advice on how to act on these circumstances that might be a detriment to the buyer in that situation. And how is that How is that disclosure now made to that old buyer? Uh, By the have, way... We have not been given a form for that. More forms. It's really? A, yeah. I feel like we've been given a lot of new forms. Yeah. And so I went digging and digging, looking for this specific form. And all the language says is that you will make this disclosure on a form acceptable to counsel. So it can be an addendum. I don't know. It can be a napkin. <laughs> Form acceptable to counsel. Okay. Uh, it, it was uh, far too vague, uh, to so be still, honest. Still ironing a lot of this out. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like June 15th is soon. Not, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, it's surprising to me that you can allow that past client to act as an unrepresented party to the transaction. Now, again, everybody has to agree. The seller and the buyer have to be very clearly explained what that means. I think part of that, too, is in the interest of the public, I don't think you can force somebody to have to have a realtor. Like, I personally believe you really should. A realtor's, a good realtor is going to be out there trying to protect you. But, a, you know, somebody, it, you can't force someone to have a lawyer when they go to court. They do have the right to represent themselves. It usually doesn't go well, but you yeah, can do it. And, and the whole premise behind all of these changes was about consumer choice. Right. And protection. Primarily consumer protection. Yeah. But you do have to maintain consumer choice. Yeah, I guess that's the thing is you can't go so far protecting them that you take away their choices. Yeah. So what's been designed here is actually a lot of flexibility is what I see. Okay. Uh, so uh, buyer and seller have a lot of different options for that very rare situation where it could happen. It turns out that you could end up representing essentially both sides. Um, is, not- is the language still the same? Um, I guess working with a realtor brochure. So for those who have done deals in the past, I, I cheated years. a little bit and there's three new forms on top of the working with a realtor. Okay. You stuff. actually don't use the working with a realtor anymore. Okay. So there's no, Oh, did they cut- see, I didn't do that. I just kind of skimmed the form. So they replaced the working with a realtor. Yeah. It says explicitly, uh, somewhere in what I've been reading that you do not use a working with a realtor anymore. You use one or more of these forms that's been provided. Yeah, and okay. working with the realtor was for people listening is just an information brochure explaining because before it was just there wasn't I guess it was I don't even remember now it was years ago but they turned into the, no agency is customer. The, the origin of the working with a realtor is that way back in the day before any of us started selling real estate, technically every realtor worked for the seller. Whether if if you ha- Jeremy had a buyer and you came to my listing, you were technically working for my seller. But, you know, people develop loyalty and they want to help their buyer that they've been working with for two months. And in reality, they don't care about the selling. Mm-hmm. They're trying to do that. So council decided on agency, which is, okay, actually, even though the seller is paying you, your loyalty is to the seller. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it was such a change, they developed the working with a realtor brochure to make sure everybody was clear on who was working for who. And it yeah. sounds like we're still going to be doing that. It's just going to be different. And forms. then there was a round, there was another version of that which was the designated agency 
which brought in custom this customer relationship, or at least explaining to people there is if you are not represented, there is no agency I am working for. Right, and the big the thing seller. with designated agency is technically because like all of us are Remax Advantage, so you bring a buyer to my right listing because before was, designated agency technically we're all, under the same brokerage but you don't know my seller i don't know your buyer right. the loyalties are still very that clear. was a good change that happened when that came in that yeah. was that was a, just a clarification so adding designated agency to the working with the realtor brochure was a modification of a document that had been around for quite a while and what jeff is saying is the intent was to explain to the consumer what you're getting from an agent what does an agency relationship look like yeah the the Fault of that document was I got to guess it was maybe three thousand words. Yeah, it, sure. it or, was or more. <laughs> and I doubt that it was ever. I mean, we all explained it thoroughly to people, um, but it would be really easy just to put that in front of somebody. And I'm I'm not going to pretend I I explained it, but nowhere near. I was like, look, the bullet points. Here's where it works. It's my job to look out for your best interest. That means I don't disclose any information I know about you. That means. Any information I learn about the other party, I'm going to disclose to you, and it's my job to put you first. Yeah, and that was my Basically, explanation of this yeah. gigantic document. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly what I mean. Yeah, I'm not. I'm yeah. not not reading it well i am reading it with them they read it but uh but yeah i was just uh, basically going over it and saying here's the main points of this you are a client yeah. in this situation it was a document that was written by lawyers and was very extensive and we all glossed over it so what it's been replaced with is a very brief document that in very concise points tells the client what mm. they're getting into. So that's that's good. That's the new form as far as agency goes all cool. around. And the other part of the news that came out with all those new forms is, uh, so we've changed agency, we've changed how um, also remuneration, so how we get paid. This is the commission disclosure stuff? Yeah, so we talked about if we want to refer it out, we have to make it very clear how much we're getting mm. paid. Everybody is getting paid in that. Yeah. And as well... Any doc, any contract now that is put in front of a seller, we have to do the math for them and tell them exactly. As a seller, this is the biggest change that you're you're going to see if your property is and this this comes fully into effect uh, mid June, June fifteenth. Okay, I know we've implemented it as an office a little bit early ahead of time just to get ready for it. But if you are selling your place right now, this will be when it comes time to looking at offers, especially in multiple offers. There's going to be some more more paperwork. Yeah, and I think uh, for our listeners who have sold in the past and are pretty familiar with the process of selling real estate, you're going to find it feels very different as of June 15th. Just as far as paperwork goes, you're going to say, I've never seen this before. Why do I have to sign this, this, and this before I can even look at my offer? But that's what's coming now is we're going to be putting a lot of paperwork in front of a consumer before they can even... I know you want to see what these offers are, (laughs) but here's some paperwork. Yeah, so I think that's the biggest change that's coming. Yeah, I'm really for the first thing you talked about. The second one, I'm not opposed to it in any way. I'm just not entirely convinced the necessity of it because the seller, I mean, they would have had to, like a buyer doesn't know what's getting paid until you tell them. But a seller has negotiated the commission with the realtor to begin with. They know what percentages they're playing. I mean, it. It's not a bad thing. I think it's actually a good thing. It's just weird that it has to be a rule that you're like, okay, I'm going to do the math for you. Math for you in writing, get it signed by the seller that the, you've done the math and shown it to them before they looked at the offer or counter offer. So you do it every step of the way. Every single time you put a new price in front of the seller, you have to do the math. So you're like, okay, we're countering $5,000. This is going to cost you $5 extra if you get this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not a, a bad thing. It seems maybe a little unnecessary the, the best, or overboard. The best part about that one, though, is the fact that there's accountability for um, for all the offers. So if one exists, two exists, it's you know exactly like when you got it, who it was from, um, because you know I guess the the question was, all of a sudden you're writing on a property that's been on the market for two months, and lo and behold, you're competing all of a sudden. Yeah, this that change. Which I think is separate. Same, from what I we're think that's the about. same document. No, these no. are two different oh, documents. No, two there's doc- another one that uh, the com- oh, transparency the among multiple offers. I'm all for. I, th- I think this is fantastic. That's maybe the best thing that they're to come out of this. Absolutely, I think you're, I would agree. Yeah. yeah, that is the best thing to come through. Is that the you have to Full transparency really document how many offers came in, when they received, what they looked like, and get the seller to sign off on that, and and it has to be held in as a record within your brokerage. The compensation is separate. You have to have a separate individual form for every single offer. So if a seller is presented with eight offers, you have to give them eight different 
two-page forms. You guys can't just make a spreadsheet? <laughs> We're working on that, actually. We're going <laughs> to create something a little more automated. Okay. Yeah. So that we can be efficient with that uh, if we start getting multiple offers again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so that's coming in for, uh, in, again, the intent is consumer protection. And I think that because there are bad guys who were maybe not properly explaining to the seller, uh, this is how much you're paying on this offer versus this one. I guess that's the question. Yeah, is what what is the problem that I, I very clearly understand what the problem is that is trying to be solved by most of them. I'm not sure what the bad guy move was that made them feel this this one needed to be done. For the commissions. Yeah. Like little variations. Cause, yeah. Because well, the commission was pre- would have been the same on all of them. You just have to do the math, right? Unless all Am I can I think of something? is no agency. And if somebody is, and we already had this rule that you had to disclose if in a multiple offer situation, the listing realtor was representing either through agency or no, no agency, um, a buyer for his property. If he was discounting, which would help leverage his offer, that would need to be disclosed. That's for the benefit of the other buyers who were involved. But as from a seller's perspective, a seller may not realize that the offer that their agent is pushing them to accept is going to pay them twice as much as the other offer that they're steering them away from. I just came, I just, I remember this the other day when I thought of it, um, you know, sometimes in the realtor comments, you see otherwise $500. Yep. That mm-hmm. structure, that is something that perhaps sellers don't. Okay. So let's keep the audience in the light. Okay. Explain that. On an MLS listing, um, we have the public comments that say, you'll never believe this view, open, spacious, bright, everything. Sorry, bright and spacious. I said that wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then there is a section where we have notes for the realtors, um, such as a link to some strata documents or, hey, just so you know, um, the pets, they only want a 30-pound dog. We won't look at offers until Monday. Until showing Monday. showing so only Tuesday, Wednesdays. Some, some instructions we're not necessarily putting on the marketing materials. Um but in there also, we've seen in the past, I would say three years, would you say that we've seen where an agent has said, um, unless you were there physically present with your buyer at the time of the showing, um, I'm not paying you a full commission. If you're not there, if you're just sending, sending not there your, for first and all subsequent, and all showings. subsequent showings, um, you will get, I've seen a hundred dollars. Yeah. I've seen $500. Um, so essentially that listing agent is not paying that, that buyer's agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what you might typically see. That's that's very interesting because the worry here, and this might be part of what they're trying to solve, is does the seller know, like is the agent keeping that commission well, because it's, or it's, is the seller actually paying out less? Yeah. 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 And that's something that we would definitely need to have clarification on because I'm, I'm sure some sellers, and, and I know to us, we've no, we don't put that in our listings uh, because it, our job is to sell that listing and that's just basically discouraging people from Yeah, I don't want to do things it. that make the realtor want to steer my client their clients away from my listing. Yeah, so uh, just to sort of wrap this up and summarize, uh, they've created some changes and new documents to try to protect the public. And what I'm noticing in a lot of it is there are still opportunities and loopholes for the people who want to manipulate a consumer and explain the documents to them in a confusing way that will benefit the realtor. Uh, they can probably still get away with it. Sure. Is, is sort of is my finding. <laughs> and maybe we'll see that play out over the next few years. But our, our main topic of discussion today is going to talk about that as well about where an agent may be explaining something to a client in a way that they, they paint it, that it, it benefits the, the consumer, but it might actually be weighed more heavily towards the, the agent. The spin. Yeah. So uh, let's move on and get into our main topic of discussion today. Let's get nuts. You decide your own level of involvement. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. I don't agree to that. Neither do I. Wrong. National debt. Wrong. Wrong. Advocate. Wrong. With that money, you lost wrong. Very nice words, but happens to be wrong. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. Okay, it is main topic time. Uh, today, what we are going to be discussing is what you think works, what actually works, and what's just helping the realtor find their next deal when you're trying to sell your home. So I think we should establish some ground rules and a little bit of explanation before we get into this. Uh, Essentially, what we're talking about is uh, there are things that realtors say help sell the home that are probably not as effective as they are portraying. 
There are things that maybe they aren't pushing that actually are really doing a good job. And then there's lots of things a realtor will do uh, to find the next client when they're marketing your listing. Yeah. And full disclaimer, these are gray areas that oh. <laughs> some of us will feel are absolutely for the listing. And some of us may feel you're just doing that for yourself. Yeah, I think that's part of why we um, thought this might be a fun topic is that we're not going to agree on all of maybe these Maybe we'll have competing perspectives. <laughs> Possibly. Uh-huh. Um, so I think, too, when they get into gray areas, we might use a bit of a sliding scale. Uh, if we if we need to, we can rank them from zero to five. Zero being, for example, if we're talking about what works, um, zero being doesn't work at all. Five being, yes, this is totally helping you sell your home. And three being, well, this kind of does a little of this and a little of that, but it's somewhere in the middle. And I'm I've got a list of topics, so let's... I'm re- I'm ready. Let's get started. Um, let's start with the open house. Well, that's an easy one. How do you How do you think? That's a That's a three. In which category? I'm so at I'm at an open house yeah. to get because uh, some people there are buyers out there that maybe don't have an agent, um, aren't quite ready to call on a listing. They're maybe just getting their feet wet. Um, sometimes they love the property and they, they don't, they, or they can't make it during the week. So it's the easiest thing, path of least resistance. Um, let's get in and and just come into the open house. Um, but I also meet a lot of great people and future clients, future listings doing those open houses. It really depends on the timing. I completely agree. Week one of the listing two years ago, this was different. But today, week one of the listing, we tend to get so much demand that the open house is there to funnel a lot of people through in a condensed period of time. And that does 100% benefit the seller. Yeah. Can you imagine if a seller had to make 100 appointments (laughs) in one week? Four hours of open houses on a 60-day listing for the agent? Yeah, I I think... On a long enough timeline, the open house becomes mostly for the agent. Yeah, <laughs> or and, not so and much also for the agent. to convince the seller that they're working. Yeah, I used to say four or five years ago that the serious buyers, the people who are ready to make offers out there, are contacting their agent because they typically have an agent and they're booking an appointment to see it on their own. And those are the serious people. And the open house is going to bring in the tire kickers, the looky loos, and we might, we might get someone who falls in love with it and gets off the fence, but that's unlikely. Uh, And I think that applies to everything after week one of the listing. And it resets if you reduce the price, I believe. 100%. I'd agree with that. So I find that uh, if I had to summarize it, an agent who comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to sell your house. And part of what I do is I do an open house every single weekend that your home is on the market. And looks like he's working really hard. Looks like the agent is working. He did an open house every weekend. It looks like he's working hard. And can we also tell the big secret (laughs) of open houses? Why why are we there? What's that? Why are we there? Yeah. I mean, an open house is there to sell the property, 100%. But it's also one of the easiest ways to meet new clients. Because people come and they ask you a ton of questions. And if they're impressed with the information you know, there's a good chance they might want you to be their realtor. And they're tire kickers. Yes. They're getting in the game. So yeah, 100% the agent is there with the intention of meeting new clients. And I find that that is where an agent says, I will be there every weekend because because they know to the seller, it says to the seller, it looks like I'm working. You have some tangible proof Mm -hmm. that I'm working for you. So you'll feel like I've done a lot for you. Uh, For me personally, as a homeowner, I wouldn't want to have to leave my home every single weekend if my home was on the market for two months. Sure. And, and you, as if you were potentially as a, as a, uh, someone interviewing realtors at, for their listing and you had two guys and one guy's like, I'm there every weekend. Like, wow, that guy's really going to be working hard. He's committed. <laughs> uh, so I think okay. all of us were probably very upfront with our intentions when we talk to our clients. So I tell them that upfront when I'm taking the listing. So I say, this is the, the effectiveness, effectiveness of an open house in the first week. And after that, we're going to do some, frankly, part of why I'm there is it's going to help me get new clients. What, one of the hard things about explaining it because what you are saying is, I, I 100% agree with. It is true. I have told clients this, and I can see that they think I'm lazy, and I'm trying to get out. Like, hmm. I my, my townhouse that we just got the unconditional offer on, I did an open house every weekend. And it was because the seller really wanted it. And I explained to him, like, he was like, well, in the first weekend, we had 30 groups through. Won't we get another 30 groups through? And I'm like, no. Yeah, three. That's not how that works. And 
weeks three and four, we got one or two groups through yeah. and they were all tire kickers. They weren't people who were interested. But when I tried to explain to the seller how it works, um, my feeling, and maybe I'm just paranoid, is that he thought that I was trying to come up with an excuse why I'm not the hard You just wanted to get out of working. Yeah. Uh. It's easy to equate, though, the hours spent. Yeah. Right? For, for, for the wage, for the whatever, is that, you know, we get that in terms of selling a house, and you're like, well, that was fast, and you're getting paid a lot. You're like, I'm getting paid because... I did it properly and did it in the shortest amount of time for you without the hassle. So you're saying if yeah. I made this take, if I drew this out six, uh, you know, 60 days, you would want to pay me more because that means I worked more hours. Yeah. Hey, last comment on open houses, doing them every week, I think personally is a sign of desperation. Hmm. So that's also why Still I would available. say to, say to a seller, yeah, don't, don't keep like, Oh my God, there's no one showing trumping up. It, trumping it out there. Yeah. I, I like every two weeks if the listing doesn't sell. And on, in the first week I like to do Saturday and Sunday. But after that, there's no point doing both days. You're going to get the same amount of people whether you do it Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, so I think hopefully our listeners are getting the concept of what we're trying to do today is break it down as to when it benefits the seller, when it's really just for the agent because the agent is there to get new clients. Yeah. And there's a middle ground there. And we're not knocking agents for doing that. I mean, that is part of running a real estate business is you do have to find somebody to work for once you get the home sold because otherwise you're out of a job. Um, But yeah, we're just trying to open the door here, right? Big list. Okay, so let's <laughs> let, let's move on to one that I think is going to be really quick. Newspaper ads. <laughs> Matt? I used to do newspaper ads. I did them every single week, and it was from my retired partner, and he said to me, the only reason why we run these ads, Matt, is because the seller thinks that we're advertising our home, and it helps us get more listings. They see that we're out there doing marketing for them. And I don't think I ever, in the, I don't know, five or six years that we ran a newspaper ad every single week, had somebody call and say, I saw your ad in the paper. This nope. is why I'm interested in your listing. They saw it online. 100% to get the next deal. I Especially, de- depends on de- demographic, maybe. If if in your market, the newspaper you're advertising in has a certain demographic of people reading it. The, the number, because we've been running newspaper ads the entire time I've been in business. And when I started, you would get calls. About 10, 11 years ago, people would call from the newspaper. There were still enough people that weren't, the internet wasn't their go-to. At this point... The only reason we still run newspaper ads is because people notice if we stop and then they t- ask dad if he's gone out of business. Like we're actually running the ads out of fear, not out of this is effective. Like nobody calls on the ads, but people notice if the ads stop. Yes, it, it is brand exposure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I believe that a seller may hire you because they look at that and they say, look, Jeff and Mick advertised my listing in the newspaper. It's tangible. They're trying. They spent money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. So it's, we're putting that as far as the scale goes right onto the far end of benefits the agent. This, this is, um, I mean, I don't even put it as looking for new business. It's just trying maintain. to maintain what you've set up. Okay. So it's not, so it's part, okay. So there's the benefits, of the agent, and then there's the third category we had of, it makes the seller think we're working. Yes. Yeah. And if that newspaper, imagine if it's in someone's birdcage um, underneath, they're seeing that all the time. And the Your bird, ad and the bird be, is, <laughs> unless the bird poops on you. Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's well, just, it's a real state. It's, it's a moot mo- mo point. Okay. Well, let's, let's flow into, okay. so that's newspaper ads. What about online ads? So I'm going to, I'm going to bunch up both. Uh, well, actually let's not, let's start with social media, social media advertising. How do we feel? Oh, that's a, it's a touchy one. Um, I no, I'm going to let Matt go first because <laughs> I'm going to formulate a thought. Okay. Okay. Social media is depends on timing, but if I'm just saying I have an active listing and I'm advertising the listing on there, generally speaking, it's to make it look like I'm doing something. My experience, my feedback is that somebody ready to make an offer is searching through an online listing searching system. They're not discovering listings online on social media and then deciding to buy it. I think it's to make the seller think that you're working for them. It's not actually going to help them sell their house. So I totally disagree with you. I knew you were going to disagree with them. <laughs> yeah. And, but I will say the way you described it, I don't disagree. What I disagree with is I think maybe you're doing it wrong. Um, Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I mean, full disclosure, I bought my home 
because I saw an Instagram picture of the listing posted and I ran over there. Timing. Yes. And that's what's important with the social media ad. The way to do an effective social media marketing campaign is before it's on MLS because people get so excited about listings that like secrets, right? Like, like the, the, the pre-marketing before it hits, once it hits, you're not going to find, but you might get people foaming at the mouth. Like when, when I, when I saw the picture of the townhouse, I had been waiting for a townhouse in that building. And there were, there's only like three or four of them. Cause I wanted a corner unit with the, the double garage. Um, I had literally days before said to Rachel, they never come up. I just want one of these things to come up. And then another agent in our market posted a picture and I had to call right. So away, what did that, right? what did that help achieve? That helped you get in the frame of mind. I mean, you would have still saw it when it hit MLS. So, I paid way over asking for it. Mm-hmm. And I think what it helps. So let's, let's put it from the seller's perspective. What does it help them achieve? Mm-hmm. It helps that buyer. So the, the way I run it is I run an ad. I've got either a video or a few pictures and something saying, this is not on MLS yet. If you want all the info, contact me. I will get maybe on a hot listing, 10 people who contact me before the listing has ever even hit MLS. Now I'm still going to put it on MLS and I still want to market it to that group of people because I want to make sure the absolute most people have seen it. But I've got a list of 10 people who are really excited about this property. Sure, uh, That's valuable to the seller. Yeah. For I sure. guess my argument is those people, if they're hot to trot and exactly in that same frame of mind ready to buy, they will see it when it goes on the market on Monday or Tuesday. And I guess the metric is of the people you sell a lot of places, you list a lot of places of those places that you've done extensive social media campaigns on each one of those yeah. of those properties. Um, which one was a buyer? I'm not even accessing a search. I'm not even with a realtor, but I just saw the ad on social media and I purchased that property. So that that's my question so in terms of the effectiveness of it. We, we have, multiple jobs, right? And I think one of our jobs is not just to rely on the fact that people will see it on the MLS. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that's yeah. from a place yeah. of complacency. Yeah. Not at all. It's just a matter of MLS is still king on people MLS, that are fully... There is no better search system than yeah. MLS. I do not disagree. Um, but if you can get somebody imagining their life in the property a week before it gets online... Okay. And they're starting to really worry about it. And, and scarcity works for people, right? They, like if they're thinking about buying this place for a while before they can get on, this is okay. somebody who starts to get excited and, and it, sure. uh, it matters. I, 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 I can agree with some of that. Um, before we move on, would you say it is if you're scaling it? Because mm-hmm. for Matt and I, we, we don't think it's – we would put it mostly for the agent, um, to boost their social media, their online advertising presence. Would you scale it 100%? It's for the agent. Or would you say 100%? Obviously, it wouldn't be for the agent. But are you going to say it's just for the listing? Or you say it's a little bit for both of us, 50-50? I would say it's 75% for the seller. Wow. And 25% for me. Now, there are people who, like, I don't try to convert those leads, though. I want to know who their realtor is and if I can send them all the stratadocs and get them involved. If you're just trying to do it to pick up a buyer, sure. Yeah, uh, but you're, you're a master of engagement. You are doing all these things to engage and to get this presence. And, and the more people engaging, the more that people will see your other advertisements, which, oh, help, yeah. which helps your other sellers too. Yeah, uh, 100%, and, which, like which is why I so, wouldn't say it's not 100%. Yeah, yeah. For, so 75. Yeah. Okay. I'm calling That's, it a one out of five. A one for the seller. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. I'm you don't believe it helps same. the seller. I I say it helps them one out of five, not zero. Oh, not zero. Okay. There's some benefit to the seller. Yeah. I say it ranks four out of five that it makes the seller think you're doing something to their benefit. Oh wow. I know we're we're totally on the opposite end, and 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 here's the reason why is that because we've talked about this before that when a listing hits MLS, we give it a week to eight or nine days before we'll entertain offers if that's the strategy. Yeah. Right. And that is to build hype. Totally. To allow people to prepare, to do yeah. the open house where maybe 30 people show up and it creates yeah. competition or scarcity, like you said. Yeah. Right. Uh, that extra week of uh, social media pre-launch hype, yeah. I think uh, will create hype. I don't think it changes the outcome for the seller. I think it equals more dollars. I don't think I don't it think does. it's substantiated. 
I can't. This is the one where we agree yeah. to disagree. I, I know, but but that's that's a hundred percent where I'm coming from. Yeah. So, and, and it's great that when Jeff is doing it, he's doing it for the benefit of the seller. And the reason why I'm not very aggressive about that type of pre-launch campaign is because I don't think it's of great benefit to the seller. Mm-hmm. I do it to a very reduced degree. Yeah. It is there. I, you know, I, I think there is some value to doing it, to just getting the, the message out there for the people who are really, really, really interested, giving them a chance to start doing their homework. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Devil's advocate <laughs> here. for Jeff. So that, hang on, one, this is a quick one. I noticed that on our listings, and we do it, not to the same extent, um, but I will see, it's cool to kind of see a friend saying, hey, John, this one would so, work for you. So here's... I, I do kind of like to see that that people, other people might have eyes on something that someone might have been off that week and they might not have seen it. Here, here's a stat to help try to sell it. And this isn't my stat. Uh, this was told to me by Michael Thorne. So part of the pre-marketing uh, system is when I send them everything... So they get the floor plan, they get the video, they get the virtual tour, which isn't the traditional virtual tour. It's more like Google Maps and they can actually walk around the space and it's it's actually really cool. Um, I use a program called BombBomb and when they open it, I get a notification every time they open it. Right. So you know and how many times they're looking at it. So Michael Thorne for the last year has started predicting who the multiple offer winner will be based on opens and he says, hands down. He knows who's going to win that multiple offer 95% of the time because they've opened it way more than anyone else. Because every time they send it to their friend or whatever, it gets opened. Um, And, I mean, he's saying they're winning by landslides. So, now, would that person still have won? 100%. By that, not 100%, no. But maybe, maybe. Um, All of these things that got them super excited about it. Whether it actually bumped up the price, which I believe, I know that you disagree, knowing walking into the multiple offer that that buyer has shared that listing 120 times, you're going to negotiate very differently with that person. It's pretty common, though, to see people that blow everyone else out of the water. We have that metric based on document downloads, people that are actually contacting us. But when it's time to counter offer... And yeah, you know they Jeff's saying he has the individual name. We he just he isn't saying I know a hundred people opened it. No, he I'm says, saying I know I, one person. I know one person is. opened it yeah. sixty times. And that is different. Yeah. Because you have that name. Yes. And that <laughs> Hey buyers, <laughs> stop answering Jeff's pre launch. Giving away all your goods. We get it. It's a it's a video. <laughs> Okay, we should um, okay. move on. That, yeah. that, you know what? Hey, Jeff, I'll give it to you. That is a ton of benefit to your seller uh, when you've got the inside track on the buyer. Yeah. Uh, 100%. I'm surprised that they're giving up uh, so much private information. Must I'm be going to tell my buyers from now on. To stop clicking my links. Do not answer a pre-launch. You come to me because we need to protect your information. <laughs> Holy smokes. We're pulling back the curtain here, folks. <laughs> so we got time for what? Half, half of one more? Uh, <laughs> let's take a look. Yeah, I think, uh, well, why don't you guys pick one? What was one that you really wanted to talk about? We can do a couple quick ones. Okay. Um, virtual tours came in. Um, I don't know if people even do those anymore where you can kind of click around a room and it's sort of a... The traditional virtual tour, in my opinion, sucks. The newer ones uh, Matador. where you can... Matador? Matador, Mat- and there's Immo Viewer. There's a few different competitors, but basically it's like Google Maps, but you can walk around the home. I think yeah. that's pretty cool for somebody, especially if you've got... Oversee buyers out which, of town or something. Yeah, still know. feels a little gimmicky, but I could see if you're out of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we we decided this on one of our listings where, uh, yeah, people out of town and the agent comes through into a video. We've done it before for people where you can't get into it, but that, yeah, that would make our lives a little bit easier. Yeah, it's um, it's nice to be able to. I mean, I don't think the listing's not going to sell without them. I don't know how, sure. but right. it, it's definitely nice to be able to send somebody, especially if they want to show their friends after, right? Like I went into the open house and it went, but the traditional virtual tour that just like pans around still photos, those suck. Yeah. They take way too long. Yeah. I get bored. <laughs> yeah. And if, you're, if your computer's crappy or, or your phone, it might take too long to load. Yeah. Should we, should we, could we maybe list some of these off and then say, well, if you guys are interested, email, yep. email us. And we'll get get into them because if we yeah if we are kind of running out of time here sure uh, might be worth mentioning. I want one more. I want okay. I want one more. Okay, Matt, here's no. I don't need to see the list. I know what it is. You, know, you guys are going to get into it. Uh, well, no, we're but, we're doing this because we don't have enough time. I know, no, but we have to comment on it because we can't leave this one untouched. Okay, is it lockboxes? Free staging consultation. Oh. oh. 
staging consultation. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Seller. I'm Matt, and I'm going to sell your house. I'd like you to hire me to sell my house. Please do. Part of what I offer is a free staging consultation. Jeff, what's a free staging consultation? It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, the idea behind staging is really important. I 100% believe every home could do with getting it ready to look its best. Mm-hmm. They can all be improved. They can we can all, all be improved. We can all, something we can all agree on. I think most of the time, for most people, a simple checklist would suffice that explains what the general area is and what they have to do. I think the thing is, a lot of realtors will offer a free staging consult, and this seems like an amazing thing. What they don't often know is that that realtor is actually being paid by the stager to get them in the in some, door in so cases. that they can try and sell them. It's a sales call. It's yeah. a sales call. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and I mean, I've seen it, I've lost listings to this before. Yeah. I've seen people, people marketing it. it as free staging. Yeah. Let's understand something, a staging company to come in and rent you furniture for your house. Like, Oh, I've got a spare bedroom. Nothing's in it. Let's throw some pictures, a bowl of apples, um, and a, and a bed. Uh, you're, you're looking at, at the minimum a thousand dollars to multiple for, for yeah. the rental of that stuff. No realtor is paying to have that person come and, and just rent you furniture. Well, unless that's really clearly defined. Well, they're just gonna, okay, uh, they can charge. Listing. So how yeah. will we charge you three grand more? Um, and we'll provide that for you. Yeah, is you're paying for it one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but proper staging furniture it, it's is, a trap. is rented per month. You know, they have to, you pay to move it in, you pay to move it out, pay for the rental fee, you pay for the design. Uh, but yeah, what Jeremy is saying is that you sit there in the, in the appointment and say, if you hire me, I'm going to offer you free staging. Sorry, I can't hire you. Johnny's giving me free staging. Like, is yeah, he? Yeah, that's a huge benefit. I have to hire Johnny for the free staging. Right. I and saw it on HGTV. And it, apparently it helps. Yeah. And the reality is yeah. they'll send a salesperson into your house who's going to sell them the, on a staging the package. The consult is free. Yeah. yeah. And he'll, then they try to sell you. He'll help yeah. organize. He or she will help organize your remotes on the table. Maybe tell you to pull the, the couch out from the wall. Yeah, show um, you how to fold your towels. Do one room or something. But mm-hmm. your agent, if they're any good, and not to knock, do, knock people, but um, you should be able to know how to set up a home, put a toilet seat down, things like that. Not rocket surgery. Cool. Moving on. And we we have more. If you guys want us to talk about more. We have more. We have just quickly, um, <laughs> just sold cards. We have uh, floor plans we didn't get into. Um, holding off showings, video, actually, which could video be a whole <laughs> actually being there for all the showings. Some realtors uh, insist that they are always there. Some will say, "No, I'm busy," or "No, what we're going to do is just put a lockbox." Um, lots of stuff to talk about there. So uh, let us know at Jeff feedback at mo real estate show. Dot com. Uh, we can do a whole more, lot of, more ale states how more ale states how we can do we can we can, uh, we can refresh this and, and go through all those. We'll, um, we'll do a whole second episode on this. If, yeah, if let you us know like if you're stuff. interested. Yeah. Part two. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, we did say we're going to talk about uh, when is the best time to sell, and that is our question of the week. Let's do it. Check out the big brain on bread. How's it working out for you? What? Being clever. Who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. All right, it is time for the question of the week. Uh, This question was submitted by my lovely wife, Rachel. Uh, because we didn't have a question. So if you have a question, something you'd like us to talk about on the show, uh, once again, the email address is feedback at morealestateshow.com. And big thanks to Alexis for uh, his question last week. Yeah, that was the best. Um, Best question we've had so far, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Would you agree? I don't know. I don't know. The competition is steep. Um, Okay, so uh, Rachel asks, when is the best time to sell? And... Uh, Are you guys moving? <laughs> Maybe she is. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so what do you guys think? I know we talked about this before. Uh, not on the show, though. Uh, yeah. So uh, we, we do tend to agree, but I think you you position it in a way that's maybe more concise. Oh, okay. Um, I've always said that you have to stop back and reflect, step back and reflect on how you live your personal life and when you want to focus on your personal business of moving. And that's when other people want to focus on their personal business. And you associate that with. Well, I, I really tie it to the school year. I think everything in our real estate market 
follows whether the kids are in school or not. Because the absolute slowest time is December and everybody's worried about Christmas and vacations and getting the kids ready and what do I do with them during the week. And then the next slowest time is August. And again, people are either away or if they are here, they're getting the children ready. And and those seem, seem to be the two biggest slowdowns. Yeah, I, I agree. But I would extract that from school. And I just say people are distracted by their personal life. Even totally. people without kids. When Christmas time comes around, yeah, there's just there's office parties but and there's does it does it, de- does it depend, though, also on like the type of product? Like I, I've seen I've, I've found that like condos might not be as susceptible to that. Um, and I mean, unless interesting, you're, unless you're like first time buyer stuff, you mean first time buyers, they might not like if you're selling a, det- a detached house and those people have, you know, two and a half kids, they might not be on their radar during summertime because yeah. it, life is, is busy and hectic. First time buyers want to be at the beach. They the, do like being at the beach. The so margins have definitely gotten closer together though, over the years, right? Like. Ten and years ago, it was dead in August. Yeah, the last bu- few years, there's still a lot selling. Not as much as in April, but it's still... It's, it's been busy, too. And we've had yeah. weird exceptions to the rule, I feel like, in the fa- past five years where um, market hit really early in January and we kind of burned out a little bit early spring and had, a, you know, not as quick, quick yeah. as, of a spring. But I guess a, a blanketed sort of statement on this would be if if for you, the best time to sell is when are there the most buyers looking, that's going to be... Sp- spring ish yeah and that that's a really good point too like one thing i always say is that the best time to sell is when you're ready um but if you're looking statistically Mm. well you'll get the highest price but you also have to pay the highest price with the most competition if you plan to buy right when you sell i want to sell in spring and buy in august wouldn't that be great yeah Yeah. in an ideal world you know what i noticed there is no best time but a lot of people say to me they think oh summer's coming up that's the best time to sell because they say well, a lot of a lot of families, and they liken it to families in the school year. They said they want to move in the summer before the kids get into school. And I go, okay, well, you're right. They do want to move before school, uh, but let's pull that back and you know twist that dial back in time. If you want to move in July, you're not buying a house in July. You're not looking at it, writing the offer, and buying it in July. Hmm. Yeah, you have to make that purchase decision in April or May. You know, you know what's weird? Uh, I always just assumed that the way our market works is the way it works everywhere. And I was watching, there's an agent out of Florida named Chris Thiel who does market update videos that I really enjoy and I just like watching his stuff. And um, he just did a video about how the absolute best time to sell in Florida is when the kids are out of school. That the summertime is their most active markets. And I guess it's because it's already hot. Nobody's leaving town. Yeah. They don't need to maximize the sunny time of July and August where that's what our population does a hundred percent. Yeah. It just, I don't know. I found it really interesting because I always just assumed if we understood the personal yeah. life of people in that area, you would get it. Right? Yeah. You say, well, no, I'm not, I'm not attracted to extra sunshine in, in July yeah. and August. It's super hot. And then. the videos he makes in winter time are gorgeous out so i guess that's yeah that's july and august are right probably there. smoking hot and they're like no i'll go look in, inside of air-conditioned houses that's not boat time yeah <laughs> you know something like that so i noticed that uh big time uh people often say to me oh well the spring or summer is the best time to sell my detached house because that's when uh, the flowers are out and my yard looks the best and all the rest of it i go yeah you know what your house does look good then but that actually has nothing to do with it yeah. cool awesome well should we uh Chug on to story of the week. Story time. Story time. Jeremy, you going to do the story this week? It, uh, story time with Jeff. It's story time with Jer. Great story. Compelling and rich. It's not always my story? No, it's not always your story. What if Matt has an awesome story to tell? Well, he can tell it to me or write it down and I will <laughs> paraphrase. This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. Okay, so this isn't actually my story. This was a story that was told to me when I was away this weekend. So there were a couple other realtors. So they wrote it down. They wrote it down. They gave it to me. And And you're going to... And I'm going to... Paraphrase. Paraphrase. Uh, Thank you, Matt. Hilarious. Um, But I thought it was kind of interesting, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to know what you guys would do in this situation. So there's a house out in Surrey. It's been chopped up into three separate suites 
Nothing is authorized. Like not even one of them? One of them is authorized. <laughs> but none of the work that has been done is okay, authorized. Okay, yeah, they've done all this work and it's just yeah, they've, they've removed staircases. Are you talking about an apartment building? N- no, house. Oh. Okay. That's why I said house. It sounds like an apartment building. Sure. So, um, <laughs> uh, so it goes on the market. It gets an accepted offer. Then, realtor gets an email from the city. Hey, can you please let your no- your client know that we know he's not in compliance, and we'd like to send a city inspector over this week uh, to suggest changes. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from there? City wrote realtor. C- yeah, because C- I-, I guess city didn't have. Uh, seller's contact info or he was ignoring the letters does he live in the house or was it just a fully income pseudo i don't know the answer to that it is very common uh, more so on the other side of the river like south of the fraser to see homes that have illegal third suites every house i show in surrey has a garage that's been turned into a bedroom like in in like birdland Area. Yeah, I'm trying. Like not, you, I'm just trying not get, to generalize, but it is yeah, it is very very lot. common. And even yeah. new construction in Burnaby and New West, uh, they build it with a legal secondary suite, but they configure it and have some options so that when the inspectors leave, they add a third one bedroom. Dig suite. out the crawl space. Totally. Something yeah. changes. Yeah. So yeah. it's pretty common. Um, so what what is your question? Is what do we do? Are we representing so, the buyer? So you're this guy's agent. No, not the buyer. The seller. You're the seller's agent. You're you're my friend. So all of a sudden, you are my friends. Um, you're my friend. You've just gotten this email. What do you do next? How do you handle the situation? Putting me on the spot. Yeah. I mean, my my tendency is to be is to disclose because uh, if it's ever discovered that you are withholding something, uh, the negative ramifications are huge. Now here's where the seller and um, the agent did things right. It was in the PDS. It was in the disclosure statement. Right. So they already disclosed that we have unauthorized accommodations. They've been told that part. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised that a number of agents, and I wouldn't put you in this batch, or most agents who we, who we deal with who do higher volume would be upfront about it because they want to protect their career. Yeah. Uh, but there, there are a lower proportion of agents who do a lot of volume, and then there's 70% of agents who do very little volume, and they're the ones who likely would want to just keep that quiet. Or maybe not even know the question to ask. Well, I'm, right? I'm, I'm going beyond the PDS. I'm yeah. saying now the fact that we know an inspector is coming in. Oh, okay. And so they've gotten the email. Yeah. You're putting yeah. them in. The either, either way, you, you're not out of the clear. You get an offer on the house. You sell the house. Place completes. City will be in touch. Something like that doesn't just, you know, sit on someone's desk, uh, get filed, you know, get, get lost in bureaucracy. They'll I mean, probably I, come I imagine them. the city might even insist changes are made before it completes. So now you've potentially got a buyer moving into a house that's not in the condition yeah. they well they can't it. control that but they can put timelines on when things need to be done and that needs to be communicated yeah. to you're the getting buyer. A, you're getting a call either way and it's not going to be a fun call no that that no if there was action being taken by the city on the house because it's going to escalate yeah it's I, I like deals that complete that's kind of what i'm in the business for so i like to get ahead of that stuff yeah so I would try to put it all on the table and say, this is what's going on. Um, that's interesting for me to hear from the city of Surrey because they've typically been uh, pretty easy really going. enforcing it. Yeah. yeah. Not cutting the power to the stove and, and, and all this. Like, cool. Yeah, you can keep that, but you're not going to have a... He, he suspects that accidentally somebody made an inquiry to the city because there was somebody who was very interested, who <laughs> really liked it. And now we're They not. said, what do I need to do to make it legal? And he said, you have to talk to the city. And then within a very short time frame, they stopped responding and he got the contact from the city. So, I mean, the guess is they called the city and said, we like this place. What do we need to do? And the city was like, what? Yeah, (laughs) We're not watching the MLS, which New West has been known to do in the past. True. Uh, I I will say that my experience with all sort of cities, municipalities, districts is they're not really in the business of trying to displace someone from their home. No. So when you come in and there's unauthorized accommodation, very, very rarely do they shut it down. They just look for you to make modifications to make it fire safe. Yeah. That's mainly what they're coming, where they're coming from. They say, is the electrical fire safe? Are there gaps between each dwelling that if one person starts a fire, the other person has an opportunity to get out. It no. doesn't spread too fast. They look to make modifications. They don't shut you down and kick the person out. 
Yeah, that'd be a bad headline. Unless yeah. one of your <laughs> unless one of your suites is in the garage and there there isn't proper fire egress. I mean that, but even like they're now, not in the business of putting people on the street, even if they're in a potential like death trap. I've I have had a home that was city of Vancouver, where they said this suite has to go, and there was someone in the suite, and they just were hands down. There's nothing yeah. the owner can deal with do. the tenancy act. That's you, their you problem. Go. Yeah, wow. yeah. So they figure there's no way of making this safe. So we're gonna we're gonna do something about this. Well, if somebody if someone died. Be like, well, we didn't want to breach their tenancy agreement. You know, that's a whole other can of worms for them, right? Yeah. So anyway, well, that was uh, a fun. That was a fun one. Thanks, Jeff. I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk about. So that that's pretty much going to wrap things up for uh, this episode of Multiple Offers. Um, if you enjoyed this, uh, one thing you could do that would really help us out is leave us a five star review on iTunes. Um, and next week, uh, we are pretty excited. Uh, our boys club is going to be infiltrated by a uh, lovely lady Female. by the name of Stephanie Barrett, who is a fantastic mortgage broker. I think all three of us Real here Correct. Have, have worked with her. Uh, she's going to come on and give us some expert advice on changes that are happening in the mortgage market. There's some stuff going on with, and she just emailed me today okay. um, about variable rates. Cause apparently there's a little bit of a, a variable rate going war going on with some of the, uh, Oh, cool. The banks that are offering some pretty good discounts. Um, I know she's always on top of anytime you're coming up for renewal. She's on top of that for people letting her, letting people know, hey, it's we might want to get on this early. And she sent out an email saying, she is on. the most thorough mortgage broker I've ever worked with by far. I would I, have to I agree. agree 100%. And I think the other thing Steph brings, and she always says, it's not just about rate. Yeah. You know, she'll, she'll help you as a consumer understand how to protect your credit rating, how to not make mistakes through the process yeah. uh, that will give you a, a better pre-approval, even though maybe your monthly payment you want to make doesn't change. Uh, there are things you can do to make your situation a whole lot worse or better that you probably wouldn't think of. So, so maybe a good thing to do for next episode, we asked for a question of the week. If people have specific mortgage questions, this would be a good time. This would be an excellent time. Variable versus fixed. Huge one we deal with on almost a day-to-day basis. Um, Important questions that Stephanie will have answers to. Cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps things up. Uh, I've been Jeff McLennan with Matt Brabins and Jeremy Ray. I don't think I introduced us. You never introduced (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm Jeff McLennan, and this is Multiple Offers. (laughs) Thanks a lot for listening, guys. So um, everything I have to talk about today stems from this cabin trip. This was the first time uh, that Asher got to spend an elongated period of time with a bunch of kids his own age. And um, I don't even know how to tell this story. So we're, all the adults are having dinner in the dining room and the kids are kind of playing in the living room and they're screaming away because there's like six or seven of them and it's ridiculous. And then... Um, Things you get. should probably keep a head count, six or seven. Well, I don't know how many kids. I know that I have two. I, it's my job to watch those two. And the and rest are on their own. I will help the others, but those two come first. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, And a lot of them are babies, and they're crawling under stuff, so you just don't know what's going on. Um, but it goes really quiet. Not good. And then uh, there's this little girl, Amy. Her mother screams. And I look over, and I see my son sitting on a chair with his back to us, and Amy with her head in Asher's crotch, and she's licking. Oh, my God. (laughs) Why are you telling me this, Jeff? Because I don't know what to do. (laughs) So I, I ran over, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? And Amy's like, I'm a cat. Oh, because she saw, it's yeah. totally innocent. Oh, oh, 100% it was innocent. Well, it always is, but parents get so freaked out. The hard part wasn't, like, nobody was mad, but the hard part was, okay, now we have to have a conversation. You don't lick down there. And explain to you that your tongue is for you and not my son's pants. <laughs> so it... For, for now. I'm pretending for to now. be a cat. Right, so... Why are you ruining my cat game, Jeff? So I... 
I thought I'd rely on uh, Amy's parents to talk to her, but they were hysterical with laughter. So, <laughs> so I thought you were going to say they were like, your son is a bad. No, no, nobody was mad. Why would right? I mean, her- everybody knows it's innocent and that the kids have no idea what's going on. But I, so I had to sit down with Amy and tell her to stop licking my son. <laughs> and she's like, why? Cats lick things. I'm like, yeah, they do. But I mean, what I settled with is cats mostly lick themselves. <laughs> and I tried to get her to like lick her hand. Yeah, I think that's good spin. Yeah. Cats lick themselves. You don't see people licking other people. Yeah. And- so this I wanted to tell as A, a warning to Jeremy. Because your daughter is younger. Yeah. And, and a, a question to Matt, because I feel like maybe not this situation, but you must have been in situations where your kids were doing inappropriate things. They had no idea what they were doing. How do you? Oh, oh and it still goes on. Yeah. Like my kids are 11 and 8. So what do those conversations look like? Well, now they get a little more aware. Because they're, they're old enough now that you can actually say, hey, that's inappropriate. It's typically just, that's inappropriate. And they go, what do you mean? I don't understand. You just go like, well, that's kind of, it's just we don't we don't get involved in private part areas. Right. Or whatever it is, right? Yeah. You know, whatever's going on. Uh, but they still don't get it. Yeah. Like they, when, they're, when they're going into the situation, they have no idea. It's just complete innocence. And I think uh, the simplest thing to say is that to just not get too excited. Because if you make it seem... Like they've done something terribly wrong. It's like the body shaming thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you just no, you have you just to wear pants. Keep it cool and just try not to. Because my my biggest fear, typically in that situation, is that whoever the other person involved is, if it's not someone yeah. from my immediate family, um, looks at it in a really terrible way and finds a way to make my kids feel bad. Yeah. No. Nobody. That definitely wasn't the case here. It was almost the opposite of. How do I, because you have to convey that this isn't okay to the kid, but in a way that you're not, like the hard part wasn't shaming. The hard part was I need to not laugh because I don't want to encourage, um, but everyone around me is laughing. Like we've got. I don't worry about it yeah. too much because yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not actually doing anything wrong. No, no, that's true. Right. And it, and it will stop when they figure out. My worry isn't. That, that kind of thing's inappropriate. Isn't. My worry is though. Kid, maybe it's not all kids. My kid loves a laugh. So if I tell him not to do something, but I'm laughing while I tell him. It's his new stick. He's like, oh man, I got a new bit. (laughs) (laughs) Gets him every time. Yeah. Yeah. Even I'm being cautious of that. No, so you can't laugh, but um, I mean, probably not. A, this isn't a parenting advice segment. Yeah. Um, and B, I do not fit much in terms of stereotypes of parenting. Typically with this stuff with my kids, I just look at them and go, hey man, that's not cool. Yeah. Like, that's honestly what I say half the time. Right. And they're like, and I'm just like, this is not cool. Just don't do that. Let's go do this. Okay. Does that work? <laughs> Most of the time. I try not to over explain stuff because I don't want to make it, turn it into some big thing or diatribe and they're not going to learn a whole lot from it. You just want them to just switch. Yeah. I mean, kids inherently have ADD. Just redirect. Yeah. And if, I guess maybe <laughs> if you don't give it weight. Yeah. Right. That's how I look at this stuff. I try not to give any of it a lot of weight, but. I really appreciate your non-parenting advice, parenting advice. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably doing it wrong. 